Welcome to another inspirational message from Dave Coop, Senior Pastor of Coastal Church in Vancouver, Canada. Well, this December we're on a series about unwrapping Christmas, and you can get wrapped up in all kinds of stuff at Christmas time. One of the things that's really prevalent at Christmas time, of course, is Santa Claus. We had the Santa Claus parade here just a few weeks ago, and if you remember, we had a float this year in the parade, and that was a highlight. What a roar when the float went by the church. I just want to say, church, way to go. You are an amazing, cheering church because this, it erupted when the float went by the church here. You are doing an amazing job. Everybody who was on the float said that was the highlight, going by the church. Everybody just radically cheering as we went by. So good job on that church. Santa Claus Parade, we see Santa Claus around a lot at Christmas time. Every department store has it. It's on, you know, all kinds of wrappings and so forth. But really, if you go back to it, and you went back to where Santa Claus came from, it's a guy by the name of Nicholas. Nicholas lived in what's Turkey today, and he came from a home where his mom and dad were Christians. They helped the poor a lot. They loved missions. When he was a young man, his parents unfortunately died. His uncle was a pastor, and he took care of him and said, you know what, I think there's a call on your life for ministry. They were fairly wealthy, and he had this heart for the hurting, heart for the people that were poor. One of their family friends had a business, and they had three daughters. Business was so bad, they went bankrupt, and he didn't know what to do, this friend of theirs, and so out of desperation, he decides to sell one of the daughters into prostitution. That's how desperate they were for food, for whatever, and he hears about this, and Nicholas went by, and one night he throws a bag of gold through their window, not breaking the window, the window was open, threw it through there. And uh, they received this gold, and they lived off of it for a year. They never knew who gave it to them, but it saved that family. And a year later, they were still not out of that situation. He gave them some more gold, tried to do it secretly. They found out about it, and they said, you know, why are you doing this? And he said, well, I tried to do it in secret, but I don't, just God wants me to share, and he wants me to help you. He was known for... Going Whenever he went public, went outside, he would always carry a bag of gifts and candy with him. And uh, kids followed him. Kids loved him, of course. Wherever there's candy, the kids will be there. And they loved Nicholas. They followed him. And he became a bishop, and he became a leader there in the church at that time, and became very, very well-known. As time went on, he became even more known. When Christopher Columbus sailed to Haiti, he named a port after him. By the 1400s, there was over 500 songs written about him. By the 1500s, there were over 700 churches in Britain alone that were named after him. So he became very well known. And the reason was because he just loved underprivileged. He helped the poor. He was known if you had an orphan, he'd find a family for them. And this was St. Nicholas. He wasn't fat. He wasn't jolly. He didn't have a belly full of jelly. Uh, matter of fact, history tells us he was five feet tall and he was pretty skinny. So <laughs> Santa Claus has you know, evolved over the years, and he's not what he used to be. Uh, you know, there was a, a guy by the name of Clement Moore. He wrote this poem in the 1800s. It was the night before Christmas, and you know that famous poem and about the reindeers and so forth, and vaguely has something of St. Nicholas in it. And then in the 1900s, Saturday Evening Post had Norman Rockwell paint a picture of Santa Claus, and by that time, he's fat. And then they come along in... Uh, 1930s, Coca-Cola was having trouble selling Coke 
to the kids, and so they painted Santa Claus at wintertime with a Coca-Cola, having fun. And, and today we have Santa Claus. But if you go back and unwrap all that, you come to a man that was a dedicated follower of Christ that had a heart for the poor and wanted to love them the way Christ loved the underprivileged. So if you unwrap it, that's what you come back to. At Christmas, we also have lots of lights. It, Houses are decorated in lights. We have lights on the church at Christmas time. We've got lights on the trees. If you go down uh, to St. Paul's Hospital, you've got lights of hope. Lots of lights are up there. Um, a lot of lights at Christmas time. And because it's, it's a season of light, Christmas is about light. It goes hand in hand. Halloween is dark, no lights. Christmas, lots of light. Why? Because God is light. And his son was light, and he came into this world. So the light symbolizes, speaks of our Lord and Savior coming here to be with us. December 25th is, we don't know if this is Jesus' birthday. If you've always thought it was his birthday, I don't want to burst your bubble, but there's no record in the Bible that says on the 25th of December, Jesus was born in a manger. We, we don't read that, okay? However, we celebrate it on the 25th of December. Now, there's... A lot of controversy over it, and some people have a problem with it. Matter of fact, there was in the 1600s in Massachusetts, they said, we're not going to celebrate Christmas for about 20 years. They banned the celebration of Christmas because it was related to a celebration. It came during a time of year when the Romans used to worship Saturn, and they had this amazing party in a bad way for a week from the 17th to the 25th. Of course, this week on the 25th, First will be the darkest day of the year, and they had this party during this time, and there was basically lawlessness, a lot of debauchery and drunkenness, and it was just this dark time, really, not only physically, but in the, in the spiritual world, it was a very, very dark time. And one of the things that the Romans would do is they would say every Roman community could pick one person, and they'd indulge that person with all kinds of food and all kinds of physical pleasures, and that person would be treated that way for an entire week. But at the end of that week, the Roman authority said that person was going to be killed. They, that person would be sacrificed, so to speak, and that would eliminate the darkness for another year. It was during this holiday that the church father said, we're going to celebrate Christmas during this time. There's a lot of thoughts and different views around this, but I want to present it this way to you this morning, is that during the darkest time, they decided to celebrate Christmas and I think that's good because Christ comes into the darkest moments of our life. And in their calendar year back then, that was the darkest time of the year, not just physically, but also spiritually in the community. It was a dark time. And the church at that says, no, we're going to celebrate Christ's birthday because he comes into the darkest times of our life and he shows up there. So Christmas is about light, light coming into the darkness. If you have your Bibles, go to Isaiah chapter 9 and just hold it open there. I got a couple of those verses in your hand up, but we'll cover some more as we go through the lesson this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, we'll read the end of chapter 8 first. It says, Then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they'll be driven into darkness. If you want to look around the world today, you can find gloom and darkness, right? You, can, you don't have to look very far. There's gloom and darkness. You can, you can look to Oak Street about a week ago. You saw gloom and darkness on Oak Street. Uh, it's kind of rude awakening when we got people with AK-47s on our street and a bunch of people, innocent, are being killed. And you're just like, this, is this Vancouver? Or you look somewhere else, you see 
gloom and darkness. You look around the world, you see gloom and darkness. But into the darkness, Jesus comes. Some people would run from darkness. No, he lands in darkness and he disperses a darkness. So, so at the end of Isaiah chapter 8, it talks about there is this gloom and darkness. But then Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 is a prophetic chapter about Jesus coming into the darkness. So I picked verse 2 there to begin with in your notes. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them light has shined. So God comes into the darkness. Last night we had baptismal candidates, and they were sharing about their life, the darkness that was in their life. But God shows up in that darkness, and he drives the darkness out from them. The light shines on them. And then in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. What is the great light? Well, the light was a child. Isaiah is talking to the people that he said, there was, there's a light to come that will shine the darkness. What is a child? What is a darkness? What is a light that goes in the darkness? This child, unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus has some amazing titles. Don't you agree? Aren't these great? Counselor, he is that. Mighty God, he is that. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, he is all these things to us. So first of all, Jesus is the light. You probably figured that out already, but if you're filling the blanks, Jesus is the light. You can go ahead and write that in there if you like. Martin Luther King said this, Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. When we heard some of the stories yesterday of those who were baptized, they're talking about the darkness that was in their light. You can't get rid of darkness by saying, well, I'll go get some more darkness. If you've been ever addicted to something, you know you don't get out of that addiction by getting more stuff that you're addicted to. It just drives you further into the darkness. If there's a darkness in your life that's got a hold of you, you don't get rid of it by having more darkness. You get rid of it by going to the light. Same thing with hate. You can't get rid of hate by hating more. Somebody hates you, so well, I hate them back, they'll get rid of it. No, it won't. It just makes it worse. You overcome evil with good. Love never fails. What dispels hate is love. What dispels darkness is light. It's a simple principle, but a little bit harder to apply. John 12, 46, it's there in your notes. Jesus says, I have come as light to shine in this dark world. So all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the darkness. Well, that's good news. He's, I've come to shine in a dark world. Where's your world dark today? Wherever your world is dark, Jesus, I will shine there. I'm going to be there for you. In 2008, John McCain was interviewed by Time magazine, and they asked, them to, asked him to tell them a little bit about his personal journey of faith. He said, let me tell you a story. I was in Vietnam. I was a prisoner of war. I'm in prison, and every night, they would take, tie my hands behind my back, and then they would bend me over and tie me up so that my head was between my feet. And this is the way I had to sleep all night long. Incredibly painful, you can imagine, to be tied up like that and left in a cell, and not a nice cell. And this is the way he was left all night long. He said, one night a prison guard came over, and he told me to be quiet. He said, shh, and he un loosened them. He didn't untie me completely, so it looked like I was still tied up in that position, but he untied me enough to relieve the pain. The next morning, he came back, and he tightened it back up again, so nobody would know that he'd loosened it. And this is what he did every night. He'd come, and he'd loosen that. He, he said he was really surprised that this uh, prison guard would do that. Well, on Christmas Day, he said, I was in, they let us outside in the court on Christmas Day. I'm out there, 
and I'm standing against the wall, and this prison guard comes over to me, serious, doesn't smile, nothing, just walks over, stands beside me, and then with his foot in the dirt, he draws a cross. We both looked at the cross, and I knew why he did that. He said, on that Christmas day, one of the darkest moments of my life, Jesus shone his light. You can be going through the darkest time in your life. It's perhaps not as bad as being in a POW camp like that, a prisoner of war. But God can show up with his light in the darkest times of your life. And he showed up there for John McCain at that time. Jesus is the light. Now, secondly, God, I mean, only Christ can light your life. People try to get a lot of things to light their life. Psalm 1828 says, Oh, Lord, you light my lamp. You light my fire. My God turns my darkness into light. There's different things we try to light our lamp, to light up our life. Some people try to light up their life. I say, you know, man, well, you know what? My light would be lit up if I could just have more money. That will really light up my life. That's where life is, having more money. So I'm going to work hard, get more money. That'll, that'll solve it. That'll, that'll light up my life. I can buy what I want, and my life will be fulfilled with that. And then they do that, and it, it doesn't do that. So oh, you know what? If I just get married, whew, man, that'll be it. I'll be complete when I get married. And, and they find out, you know what? When they get married, it didn't complete them. It didn't light up their life, so to speak. So, or some people that are married, so well, if I could just be single again, that wouldn't light up my life. <laughs> or there's maybe somebody who's saying, you know what, man, this Christmas won't light up my life. If I just get a good party, if I can get drunk a couple nights, that'll really light up my life. And we all know that that doesn't. It's a pseudo thing. It's artificial. Oh, if, I had a, if I could live in Canada, or if I could have a better job, or if I could go on a holiday, these things would light up my life. Really, what lights up our life is God. Oh, Lord, you light my lamp. My God turns my darkness into light. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Shines out of darkness. Where, where is the darkness? Darkness gets in our heart. God comes along and he lights that. Your heart's kind of like a candle. But for a candle to be lit... A candle has to submit to the fire. God's a fire, so to speak. But if a candle says, no, no, don't light me, well, then it won't be lit. You have to say, Lord, I submit to your lordship. Light my life. Light my heart. I allow you to do that. Because you can be a really pretty candle and not be lit. A real pretty candle that's not lit is it's actually cold. It's not inviting. You're not drawn to it. Do you have candles in your house that you're not allowed to light? We've got some candles in my house that we can't light. <laughs> and I'm just, you know, I figure they're candles that should be lit. That's what they're meant for. But I've been instructed not to light them because they stand, they're pretty candles. They're decorative candles. And they put in decorative stands. And don't you dare light them because it'll make a mess. And so you just leave them. They're cold, they're uninviting, but they're pretty. They're ornaments. <laughs> Guess what? God didn't call us to be ornament Christians. He didn't call us to be decorative Christians or pretty Christians. Because when you get lit up, it, it actually can be messy. The wax runs all over the place, but that's where the warmth is. That's where the light is. And so God's inviting us to, hey, let me light your life. Are you going to have some messes in your life when you follow Christ? Probably. Are you going to take some risks and people not understand you? Probably. But that's where the warmth is. That's where the light is. On the prairies where I grew up, my dad told us, always carry a candle in your car. We never went somewhere, especially in winter. My dad would say, do you have a shovel? Do you got a candle? you got an extra pair of boots? you got an extra pair of gloves? I mean, he was 
religious about it. He'd check our trunk. Where is it? Oh, Dad. Oh, son, man, if you're caught in a blizzard, you're going to need that. And you know what? Guess what? I was caught in a blizzard. And what do you pull out? Pull out a candle. You know, one candle in a car when it's 30 below will save your life. You will not freeze to death. One candle will give off enough warmth that you don't freeze to death. You will survive. Candles give warmth to a broken world. Your life shining can warm up a lot more than you realize. I was always amazed. I said, Dad, sure, one candle, is that enough? He said, it'll be enough. And it was. Enough to keep you warm. Not toasty warm, but you're not freezing. <laughs> you're not dying. I say all that just to say, when you allow Jesus to light your candle, to light your heart, you give off a warmth that's very appealing. You give off a light that's very attractive. Light your life with Christ. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, but you are a chosen generation. If you like, underline the word chosen. You're a royal priesthood. Underline that word royal. You're a holy nation. Underline the word holy. And then it says, you're his own special people. Wow. I don't know if you realize it or not, but the person sitting beside you, they're chosen, they're royal, they're holy, and they're special. So pick one of the four and look at your neighbor and just say, you can choose anyone you want. You can say you're chosen, you're royal, you're holy, you're special. But pick one and just tell your neighbor that they're one of those. Now, some of you looked across and you said, I don't know if I'm going to choose holy or not. <laughs> and some of you, I don't know if I'm going to choose special. But guess what? God called all of you holy, royal, chosen, special. Isn't that amazing? Why? Why does he call us that? Well, we're in his light. This is how he sees us. And then he says, this is why you're called that, so you can go and proclaim it to others. The world needs to hear about it. That you can proclaim the praises of him who called you what? Out of darkness, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. I think at one point, all of us have lived in darkness of some kind. If we took time and everybody came up and shared, we could all say, here's my darkness. Here was my darkness. Or maybe you're here today, here is my darkness. Into your darkness, God sends his light. Oh, thank God for Jesus. Mm. While light conquers our fears, we can be afraid of the dark. That's one of the top fears of people's fear of the darkness. When I, I grew up, my, we had indoor plumbing and outdoor plumbing. Outdoor plumbing was called the outhouse. It wasn't very refined. <laughs> this is a crazy thought, but anyhow. We had some leaner years in our home growing up. And, uh, you know, my mom at Christmas time, she said, now make sure you save. No, I can't go there. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it. <laughs> no, 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 I can't do it. <laughs> I'd break a fundamental rule of preaching if I did. I can't take your minds there. Sorry. <laughs> Anyhow, we had outdoor plumbing. And we had indoor plumbing. 
And we didn't use the indoor plumbing a lot in the wintertime because we had to haul all the water. We, didn't, we had to have used a cistern, and so uh, we had a well, but a lot of the farms have alkali water, and so it wasn't really good for drinking or using, so we hauled the water from the river. We had the Waterton River running through our land. It wasn't too far away, so we took water. We hauled it. We put it in the cistern. But when it's 30 below, you really don't like hauling water. My dad didn't like hauling water, so he said, use the water sparingly. And so that meant just washing your hands, and the rest of it was you use the outside plumbing. Well, when it's really cold and you're a kid, you really don't have this great desire to go outside, and especially when it's dark and blowing and cold and the coyotes are howling and you're wondering, how close is the coyote that's howling there? Wintertime when it's cold, everything sounds really close. And I remember going outside and there's no lights there, and you'd take the flashlight and you'd be walking out there to this, walking out to this outdoor plumbing. And I was so thankful, it sounds strange, but I was thankful for the light because it just gave me that extra sense of safety and comfort. I have a light with me. It wasn't a fun experience, but I had a light. And sometimes life is not fun. Life is dark. There's things that we don't want to do. And we, I know I've got to do this, but it's dark, and I'm, I'm, I'm battling fear. You never live in the absence of fear. It's what you do in the midst of fear. And in the midst of that fear, Jesus says, I will be there. I'll be your light. I'll be with you. I will make sure you're safe. Aren't you glad you've got a God who cares about your safety? Look at these verses. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light. We've bolded that part, my light. It doesn't say the light. It doesn't say somebody else's light. It's your light. He's your salvation. Very, very personal. So why should I be afraid? The Lord protects me from danger, so why should I tremble? What are you afraid of today? What fear do you battle? All of us, in some way or another, there's a fear that we struggle with. In the middle of that fear, Jesus says, I will be your light. I'll guide you. I'll keep you safe. I will go with you. John 1, 4 and 5, it says, In him was life. The life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. For the darkness, look at this. This is worth underlining. The darkness has what? Never overpowered it. Would you say that with me? The darkness has never overpowered it. You have the life of God in you. You have the light of God in you. And this is a promise. Darkness can never, ever overpower it. So we face darkness. We have to deal with dark stuff. But with the light of Christ in us, it will never overpower it. When light shows up, how fast does darkness leave? If light travels at 186,000 miles per second, that means darkness has to leave at 186,000 miles per second. When light shows up, darkness leaves. Light conquers our fears. Then light also calms our distress. It removes the gloom. It removes the shadow. Christmas can be a gloomy time for some. Christmas is a great amplifier. If you're lonely and hurting, it amplifies it. If you have family and you have reasons to celebrate, it'll amplify that. It amplifies it. But I put forward to you today that no matter where you are, what's happening in your life, Christ comes along to calm that distress. If a ship is in distress, a lighthouse will give it guidance and direction. Distress means anxiety, pain. Uh, It means sorrow. He comes along to calm that. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 1. It's out of the same passage about our Lord. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed. Why? Because the light has come. 
What a parent does is it, a parent will take a child and will calm the child when it's distressed. This past week, we had the privilege of babysitting our grandson. And uh, when he began to cry, was distressed, what does Cheryl do? She, she picks him up and she, she rocks him, taps his back and comforts him, calms him down, right? Don't parents automatically do Isn't that our parental instinct that when a child cries, we, we want to calm him down? If you're in a restaurant or you're on a plane and a, calm, a child is, is upset, what do you want to do? You want to reach over, you want to calm the child down. That's our instinct. Well, if that's our instinct as human beings, how much is more God's instinct that he wants to take you into his arms and he wants to calm you in your distress we're all children we're all children of god you can be 65 years of age today you can be 30 you can be 20 you can be five it doesn't matter your age we're all children in god's eyes and he says i want to take you in my arms and i want to calm you in your distress do you ever have those times in prayer where you just come before god and say oh god Will you just love me today? Will you just wrap your arms around me today? Oh, God, you pick me up. When our kids were younger, they'd come up and they'd raise up their hands and say, Daddy, pick me up. Maybe they stubbed their toe or maybe they fell, wiped out, hurt, or something bothered them. They're crying, Daddy, pick me up. I would always pick them up. I'd never say, no, 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 I'm not going to pick you up. I got stuff to do. I'm upset at you. No. Of course, every parent says, oh, come on up. Are you okay? Okay, it's okay. It's going to be all right. Well, if, if we do that, how much more? The Bible says you being evil, basically you're an evil bunch at heart until Christ comes in. But Jesus said, if you being evil can give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? It's God's nature to pick you up. Sometimes in our worship, you know, we'll raise our hands and say, God, we celebrate you. We worship you like that. We're excited about it. But other times when we raise our hands, it's, Lord, pick me up. Oh, God, I need your hug today. I need you to calm me today. It's body language. This could be body language. Or this could be body language. What do you think God responds to more? In your worship, it's, oh, God, I worship you. Pick me up. I need your hug today. I need you to calm me today. Light calms the distress. Look at Isaiah 9, verse 4. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the days of Midian. He's talking about that heaviness being broken, the gloom broken, the burden of it broken over our lives. God is into breaking distress. There was a lady who was very distressed. She had a parrot, and uh, she led a life group. She had gone through the equipping bases and uh, had taken the 501 course on how to lead a life group with Pastor James. And uh, so she signed up to lead a life group. And, and she told James that she asked, actually, if it was okay because she had a parrot. And James said, oh, I'm sure that's fine. The parrots are okay. She, and she wanted a woman's life group, so she had this wonderful women's life group. The, the problem was that the parrot always would say only a couple words. It had only one line, and the line was, let's make out. That's all that the parrot could say was, let's make out. And, uh, you know, she got saved and baptized. Her life was changed, but the parrot obviously was still speaking this old language. And so she said, let's make out. And so she called James and said, James, what do I do with this? I got this parrot that keeps saying, let's make out. The women in my life group are a little bit nervous about it. And, and what, what do I do with this? 
And James, being the wise man that he is, he thought about it for a while. He says, you know what? I suggest you go back to the pet store and maybe look at buying another pet. Get another parrot, and, you know, maybe it'll, it'll help balance that out. So she took James's advice, and she went to the pet store and talks to the pet owner there and says, you know what, I got this problem. I got a, I got a parrot, and I got this nice uh, church life group, and the parrot keeps saying, let's make out, and it makes it really uncomfortable with my life group. And so I'm wondering what you could do. And he says, oh, I've got just a thing, and I have a parrot that we have, and it came from a different home, and all it says is, let's pray. She says, oh, that would help. And, she, he, and his thought was, this pet owner, he, pet store owner, he says, you know what? I think good overcomes evil. So you bring that there, that'll solve your problem. So she gets a pet. She even phoned James. says, all excited. I got a pet, the parrot now that says, let's pray. And James, oh, that, that is an answer to prayer. So they got, she brings this other parrot home. And uh, so you got this one parrot saying, let's make out, let's make out. And the other side, you got a parrot saying, let's pray, let's pray. She says, well, this is better, you know. A week later, she comes through the door, and the one parrot saying, let's make out, let's make out. And the other parrot is now saying, my prayer's been answered, my prayer's been answered. <laughs> I think that came through in the life group report. I'm not sure. <laughs> Next also, light directs our path. Calms our distress, but light, of course, also directs our path. Mm. God's word is the only reliable guide for life. It's a flashlight. It illuminates. It keeps you from stumbling. One of the best suggestions that someone ever gave me was read a proverb a day. Just in the book of Proverbs, there's enough light to keep you from stumbling. Just common sense, direction. Do I take this path? Do I take this path? If you, if you hook onto God's word, it really becomes a flashlight for the decisions. In 2010, you probably had to make some big decisions, right? And in 2011, guess what? You're going to have to make big decisions. So how do we make those right decisions? God's word is a light. We read in Psalm 119, 105, your words, your words are a flashlight. This is the flashlight for the spiritual life. You can turn it on or you can leave it off. How do I turn it on? You turn it on, the on button is opening it and reading it. And when you open it and reading it, light shines. Ah, oh, that's what I do. It doesn't always make sense with your head, but that's where it says, lean not on your own understanding. With all your heart, you trust what he has to say. Okay, that's where your light's shining. Then that's the direction that I go. His word, his light will direct our paths. Jude 1, 24 and 25 says, And now all glory to God who is able to keep you from stumbling. In life, we, we stumble if we don't have a light. How many of us stumbled in the darkness? We've walked up the stairs, we wiped out because it was dark. Or we went down a back alley, we fell because it was dark. But if there was a light, we would have known how to step. Lighting is important in buildings. Lighting is important to know how to walk. And God's word in the spiritual realm lights it up so we know the decisions we need to make. I want to say this, throw this in here. Sometimes we look around in our city and we think, oh, you know, we see this darkness, we see that darkness, and last Sunday after the grand service, I had to go pick up something from chapters, a book, and as I was going over to chapters, I was on the corner of Burrard Street and uh, Granville, and I had stepped into Sears for a bit, and I was in Sears, and the song that we sang earlier was playing on the, on the intercom system, and it was God Rest You Merry Gentlemen. 
And I stopped there in Sears. I just listened to it. I thought, Lord, this is playing in Sears. People were busy shopping everywhere, but the words were, God rest you, merry gentlemen. You know that part. Let nothing you dismay. Remember, Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day. This was in the mall. This was in Sears. To save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. I know it wouldn't have been appropriate, but I felt like shouting, hallelujah. <laughs> I felt like shouting, praise the Lord. I was, God, yes, I love Christmas. I love it that there was this light piercing into that store with the words, came to save us from Satan's power. When we've gone astray, when we've been in distress, the light came into the world. God, what? Rest, ye merry gentlemen. God causes us to rest. He calms us down. He makes it safe Ah, to be in his arms. Then I walked out onto Granville Street, and I'm walking down towards Robson, and all of a sudden, something catches my eye. You've probably seen this. I hadn't seen it before for whatever reason. There's praying hands on Granville Street. I don't know if you've seen that. But you, you look at them, and you can look all the way down Granville Street, all the lights and all the stuff that goes on Granville Street. And if you look there in the corner, there's these praying hands. I, you know, I felt like shouting again, yay, God. I don't over-spiritualize it. But to me, it was like, God, you're at work. I heard your word being proclaimed in Sears. I walk out, and I see praying hands on Granville Street. God, thank you for being at work in our city. It's just a reminder, God's at work. To have, you know, close to 2,000 people gather at the Queen Elizabeth Theater worshiping God. God's at work. His light, His love is at work in our city today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to download free notes from this message or find out more information about Pastor Dave Coop, then we invite you to visit our website at www.coastalchurch.org.